Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Last Dig a Bit for March 2021, month 7 of our study of the Ten Commandments, is looking at pornography, is looking at pornography, the fornication of Matthew 19.9. This is a question that is very relevant in many marriages today, and it's a question that I often get from women who are really done. They're really done with the sin of pornography in their marriages, and so they're asking if they can indeed put away their husband for the adultery of the heart. After all, the word adultery is used both in Matthew 5:28, whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then Jesus uses the porneia in Matthew 19, verse 9, when he says there, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, there is porneia, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Moikea. And whoso marries her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So we have porneia in um, in Matthew nineteen nine, and we have it in Matthew five twenty eight. So is that porneia, that adultery of the heart, is that necessarily a literal physical act in Matthew nineteen nine, or can I put away my husband? for the porneia of of Matthew 5:28 the looking on a woman to lust after her if that's adultery of the heart then he's committed adultery can i put him away well there are some things that we want to observe and i think that the conclusion will be really clear when porneia and moikeia are used literally they are always physical very distinguishable acts physical acts and not lust. We have actually the word for porneia in the in the Greek uh, Old Testament. In the Greek Old Testament when we're reading about Tamar actually with whom Judah en- engaged in intercourse. Um, a form of porneia is used of Tamar. Though she was his daughter-in-law, remember he assumed that she was a harlot and uh, that word, a form of porneia, is used there. And certainly, that's a literal act, a literal physical act. Now, mostly in the Old Testament, though, the terms fornication and adultery are employed symbolically. Most of the time, they are symbols of the idolatry of the Israelites, that they are committing adultery against God himself by breaking their marriage covenant with Jehovah. Most of the time in the Old Testament, that's how the words are used. But I did want to point out that their Tamar's sin, the physical, actual physical act, is described in the Greek rendering of the Old Testament by that word. All adultery, it's important for us to realize that all adultery is fornication, but not all fornication is adultery. We know that from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, where both of them are listed in a list of grievous sins from which um, those in Corinth 
had been washed, sanctified, justified. We don't just have adultery listed or just fornication, but we have both of them listed. So fornication can be defined biblically as any unlawful sexual intercourse. Of course, it's fornication when two unmarried young people have sex together. That's fornication. But the plural form that we see of fornication in several places, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 is an example, fornications, well, that hints of the different ways that fornication can be committed. Prostitution is fornication. Pedophilia is fornication. Bestiality is fornication. Homosexuality is fornication. So fornication is can be committed in lots of different ways, even being used in the plural form in the New Testament. And adultery is always fornication. But adultery is the kind of fornication that involves, and I'm just going to say it in the way that we would say it, cheating on a marriage partner. Adultery involves at least one of those partners being married. So what about Matthew 5, 27 and 28? Should lust be in a list of things that constitute adultery? I'm talking about the adultery of Matthew 19, 9, that gives Jesus exclusive reason for divorce and remarriage. Should lust be in that list? If my husband has read a book that contains pornographic material or looked at one photo that has uh, an ill-clad woman and he thinks about that, is that a reason that I can put him away for adultery. Well, I think it's important that we look at the word lust in Matthew 5, 28 and realize that this is not just a passing glance, that here we, it is a, according to the Greek, a longing while looking. It is actually desiring and thinking about the sexual intercourse that would almost um, inevitably occur if given the chance. So it is is not just a passing glance. It is a longing while looking. I think it's also important for us to think about other sins of the heart. In that same chapter in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, you'll remember that Jesus said that anger is a sin of the heart. And he compared that sin to murder in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever will say to his brother, Reka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So Jesus is here talking about a sin of the heart, anger, and he compares it there to murder. But none of us, none of us would think that this anger of the heart is the same in consequence as the actual physical killing of a fellow human being. First John three fifteen says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Well, how, who, in thinking about the um, ramifications of hatred, would say that those are consequentially equal to the ramifications or consequences of the physical act of murder? Jesus is dealing with heart sins here. 
that if not arrested, if not tempered, will lead to physical acts. I, I think James 1.15 bears on this. I'm going to turn over there really quickly where he talks about lust when it can what it what it brings when it conceives and what it brings when it gives birth james 1 verse 15 every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what his own lust and enticed then when lust has conceived it brings forth sin and sin when it is finished brings forth death the sin the actual physical sin is necessarily of greater consequence than is the longing within the heart. What about, uh, and this is an interesting thing to think about because it just shows how convoluted the thinking can become, how chaotic the consequences are when we start thinking about lust of the heart, looking at pornography as a permission to divorce and remarry. What about the one who's the partner in the adultery of the heart? Well, that just gets very confusing because we sometimes have very innocent people who are the object of the lust of the heart. Well, what about the consequences for that partner? Then let's say she's a married woman. And let's say someone lusts after a pure and holy married woman. She would have a right then because she was in, she might have a right then because she was involved in um, the sin of adultery. She's a partner in the sin of adultery. And so she'd have a right to put her husband away and remarry. Come on, people. Come on. Or, or not have a right. She, he would have a right to put her away, that is, and, and marry somebody else because she had been a partner in adultery well we just see that adultery of the heart doesn't have the same partner rules it doesn't have the same consequences that the physical act has because when the physical act has been committed and um both partners are consensual then both partners are guilty of the physical act of adultery whereas it is so different in the lust of the heart there can be a completely innocent party involved in that in that sin of adultery of the heart so it becomes very confusing but i think probably the most um concrete argument in my mind that would show me that the sin the, the sin in matthew 19 9 does not include the sin of adultery of the heart or pornography would be the the sandwich that we see there. Matthew 19, 9 is the middle of a sandwich there in which Jesus, prior to Matthew 19, 9, talks about how that a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage. Well, we know how that happens. We know when a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage. And then on the other side of that sandwich, he talks about the eunuch status. He's, he's talking about there are some eunuchs that are, um, it's in verse 12, there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. And verse 9 is right in between the one flesh of marriage and the eunuch status. Well, both of those are very, very physical statuses. And then he talks about in Matthew 19, 9, whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, which is put away, commits adultery. 
So I, I just think that sandwich there where Matthew 19.9 is right in between one flesh and the eunuch status is a really important thing for us to notice. Matthew 5.28, adultery of the heart is used there metaphorically for an evil desire. Matthew 5.28 again. We're going to turn back there and read it one more time. It says there, but I say to you, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. The adultery of Matthew 5.28 is a metaphorical adultery. And there are many examples of such metaphors in your New Testament. And it comes right before if your right eye offend you, pluck it out and cast it from you. Well, if we are going to take the um, adultery there of Matthew 5.28, literally, we, we need to take Matthew 5.29 literally. What happens then? If your right eye offends you, pull it out and cast it from you. You know, we are in a metaphorical context in Matthew 5.28 and 29, and the adultery there is a metaphor for an evil desire. Uh, another example of this is found over in James 4, verse 4. And it says there, You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Well, we've got adultery here used as a metaphor for the sin of friendship with the world. The sin of being worldly here is adultery in verse 4. And in fact, as we said a while ago, adultery is metaphorical in the Old Testament almost all the time. But here in verse 4, it's a metaphor for being a friend of the world. So my husband goes fishing on Sundays. He used to be a Christian, but he goes fishing on Sunday instead of worshiping, and he does that regularly. Is that not worldly? Yes, that's worldly. That's the priorities in the wrong place. And so he is committing adultery here of the heart. But does that give me permission to divorce and remarry? Absolutely not. We could say that, though, if we can, if we can use Matthew 5, 28 and put that together with Matthew 19 9 and say that pornography is going to be a reason then we can say worldliness here uh, putting other things before God being a friend of the world um, in the context of ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own lust or in your pleasure so if I start putting my own pleasures before God I'm committing spiritual adultery so therefore Come on now, therefore my spouse can put me away for adultery and remarry. If Matthew 5, 28 says that pornography is a scriptural reason for divorce and remarriage, then this passage says that friendship with the world, consuming things on our own pleasures, praying for things so that I might be able to receive personal and selfish pleasure, that that is a reason that my wife could put me away, my husband could put me away and marry someone else. It is wrong. It is a, a wrong um, exegesis of a passage. It is a wrong way to interpret the Bible when I try to import a figurative metaphor into a literal verse. That's a wrong way to 
in, interpret God's word. I have to be careful that I never import a figure of speech into a passage that is a literal verse and in, in an attempt to uh, gain something that I selfishly want in my life, uh, an excuse to do something that I selfishly want to do. I hope that this has been helpful to you. If you want to read further, I would really recommend on the Christian Courier website, just christiancourier.com christiancourier.com. There's an article there by Wayne Jackson, Is Lust Fornication? And I think that that is an article that would really be helpful to you. As I say this, probably by the time you hear it, we will already have finished it. But as I say this, I'm looking forward to the podcast next Tuesday night, the video podcast with you. And we'll certainly take questions about this or discuss it further if you have questions about these particular passages and how they correspond with one another. I hope you have a great day. As I'm speaking, it's a Saturday, so I hope you have a great weekend. And I'm looking forward to the podcast and then looking forward to beginning the month of April. By the way, between the podcast and the beginning of the month of April is the time that I'm going to be Working on our study for next year, I really would covet your prayers about that. God has been really good to us with Digging Deep. He has blessed us. He has given us lots of hearts, and He has given us a unified approach as we study His Word with thousands of women. And that's that's just really not anything that I did. It's not anything that you did. God has blessed us. So if you'll appeal to Him, for the next couple of weeks that as we are writing the study for 2021-22 that we will be completely hidden behind his word and that his word will um, not return void and i know that he's promised that if we take his word seriously and study it and apply it in our lives hope you have a great day